Hello, and welcome to another episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. My name is Catherine Troyer, and joining me is Anthony Tresca. Oh, hello there. This is a podcast devoted to thoughtful discussions about that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is, for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And this week, we're so excited to have you join us for a very special episode where we're going to be discussing not one, but two different texts. We're Yay! Gonna be, yeah, yeah. We're going to be discussing 2017's Mother, directed by Darren Aronofsky, and 2018's The Cabin at the End of the World, written by our boy, Paul Tremblay. Exciting. This is so exciting. Um... Yeah, it's, so let's let's start. Two times more exciting than normal. <laughs> twice the fun, but we promise not twice the time length. Hopefully, we'll find out. I mean, you know better than us because at this point we're recording it, so you'll you'll have seen already if it's longer than normal. So, <laughs> excellent. Okay, then I mean our... it's the truth. They will. They will. They will. They will discover the truth before we do. Okay, <laughs> so now the music plays. Okay. and talk about why we are being so radical because of course no one has ever done this before um and looking at two texts and That's not true. one we actually this, episode. this is a little known fact but we invented the study of comparative literature That's uh we did it has no. not been around for hundreds of years hundreds of years um it's nope. not an entire field of study uh it's you know we are breaking ground in I, this I'm moment i'm pretty sure scholars are going to be talking about this episode for, for years to come, just because this is the episode in which we invent comparative uh, comparative studies. I mean, it's, it's, it's an exciting day. Yeah, which means, which means listeners, you better be prepared to answer the question of what you were doing when you first listened to this episode, uh, because this will wow, be- Wow, you sound really self-righteous here. God, you're so self-important. Yeah, we do. <laughs> And, and I think, like, and that, of course, you know, is one of the reasons we're doing it is because this is an established field. So many people have done this and we don't because we don't have enough time always to even get into, like, almost every time Anthony and I finish any episode on just one text, we're like, oh, how come we didn't talk about these, like, seven other really important things? And it's because, you know, we got on a tangent or we just didn't have time. Um, so this is going to have to be a bit of a, of a break. Oh, I can never say that. This is going to have to be a bit of a neck break speed uh, type episode. But we thought it was really important because these two texts are deserve to be in dialogue with one another. Yeah, I think that they both operate using very similar. I don't want to say like a framing device because it's not necessarily a framing device. But both of these, the plots of both of these texts feature heavily metaphors and allegorical storytelling. It's like, yeah, I think that's the right word for it. It's very allegorical storytelling. Yes, and allegorical horror, uh, you know, does not, there's not as much, um, I think, out there that, that could be as easily defined as allegorical horror as, as things like Mother and Cabin. Um, but also, I think that these texts work well together because they're essentially 
playing with with different versions of the same or one of the same allegories, right? So uh, listeners, you've probably heard uh, before about this this class on uh, the home mm-hmm. in American horror. And uh, one of the things that Anthony and I decided to do when we were talking about how the class should be structured was um, to, to really play around with this idea of the home, because the home period is never just a single building, but certainly within horror, um, it's rarely defined as just uh, a, a dwelling, right? It is the, the house, as it is um, the town, it is the community, it can be the nation. And one of the ideas that that the both of these texts explore is the idea that the home can also be mm-hmm. in reference to the world. Uh, and neither of these texts shies away from very explicitly giving us an obvious home that we can see our characters interacting in, but reminding us again and again that this is a home that is also metaphorically uh, the earth. And we'll see that you really can't do anything with your individual home and not have it affect the the global home as well and vice versa yeah i think that's very very succinctly put and kind of the reason why we decided to dive into these two texts i also i think another text we could have thrown in here but we decided not to was cabin in the woods i think a good reason why we couldn't talk necessarily about cabin in the woods though in this discussion for real is because Cabin in the Woods is an extremely postmodern text that is not played seriously. It is clearly a satire and played more for the comedic elements of this of the genre, which would have been an interesting discussion. But both Cabin at the End of the World and Mother by Darren Aronofsky are postmodern texts. They're obviously very clearly, but they are also playing it very straight, and they are really embracing the horror that can come from the postmodern genre. Yes, because if you look at the taglines uh, for, and that, that was greatly uh, well said, if you look at the uh, tagline for Cabin in the Woods, um, you know, one of the taglines is, you thought you knew the story, right? And so it's such a meta text. It's a text that's mm-hmm. so aware of itself as a horror text um, that it's it's a little less allegorical right because an allegory should be you should be able to read anything that is an allegory um simply as the narrative being presented without needing to to know or understand the bigger story right um but then when you hear the bigger story or you're reminded of the bigger story um then you're like oh that makes sense and one of the course sort of classic examples is something like pilgrim's progress right where we have this person who's going on a journey you can read it that way but the moment you realize that this is an allegory for the christian journey you're like oh oh that suddenly makes more sense right and and that's not really what cabin in the woods is right is it's not it's not really an allegory it's 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 too meta meta. you you said you said it best it's too meta to really embrace any allegory or try to have that 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 layer on top of what it's already doing because that it's not that's not what it's primary primarily intending to do even though it is similar to this and it's about an allegory of the destruction and how man destroys the fear so what we thought we would do is is just sort of engage in this discussion of of where these texts succeed and perhaps um, the challenges they may face in in giving us this allegory of uh, the earth as home, um, you know, or this metaphor of the earth as home, and then this sort of allegorical horror where um, perhaps what is 
initially disturbing in the moment is different from what should be the long-standing things that are disturbing you, right? That you really can't appreciate unless you are thinking about reading this text beyond just the narrative, right? One of the things that is a little different about this particular comparative analysis is that um, I think it can be very challenging for for people not so much not so much scholars of comparative uh, texts, but it can be a bit more challenging um, when you're not kind of in the habit of it of comparing two different forms of, of media, right? Film versus books or podcasts. Or that the music. only time you would have a conversation about a film and a book is if it's a, about adaptation, right? And the, and the and not liking adaptation. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I think makes um, this discussion of these two texts rich independent of the discussion we'll have in a little bit about the content of the two um is is that both really are making very intentional and stylized decisions in terms of how they are presenting things you know you may be able to critique many things uh that aronofsky does but i don't think you can critique the beauty of his shots And, and the stylized nature of his shots you don't watch his films and feel like you're in the story world like I think you do with a lot of, of sort of mainstream Hollywood where they almost don't want you to pay attention to the camera angles um, and to the, the cinematography. Aronofsky wants you to pay attention to it. And yeah. and I think... He has made a film. Yes. A, it is a very... Like you said, the cinematography, stunning. You can A lot of times when you're watching films... You don't necessarily know if a filmmaker has a specific vision for how they want a scene to look. And they just, you can tell when they're just like, get a lot of coverage. I'll, we'll edit this together later and we'll make it look good. We'll make it passable. But Aronofsky, I would not be surprised if for this film, he only got like one or two shots for every scene because he knew what he wanted. And that, that comes across from the film. And there are some beautiful shots. You know, one of the things that I appreciate so much about Mother and that makes it a great text to talk about the home in American horror is how beautifully he uses his set um, with his his camera work so that you can see that he's, like you said, it's not only that he might get just one or two takes, but you can see that he's done extensive storyboarding because it's okay. If I want this shot, I need to start here and I need to move here and here's the path that I want to take to do it. And it's beautiful. It is beautiful. And another thing about this film is the house as a character is also beautiful and amazing. And it's because of the sound design. It's along with the, obviously, the the production design of the house itself, but the sound design, because you literally can hear the house making sounds and breathing and being in pain as certain things are happening. And that is all because of the brilliant sound design that is present, which is like a very minutia detail that didn't have to be there. The sound design didn't have to pop off so hard and mother, but it did, and that made the film better. Because I think that it made it for a richer understanding of of the home as both setting and source of horror right and mm-hmm. and if you're going to have an allegory that is stemming from the home you have to do that and i think that's that's something that aronofsky does masterfully tremblay is also giving us some really intentional decisions um in terms of how he crafted this book especially in comparison to some of his other ones we'll talk in a little bit about some of the things he chose to do that were like puzzles he gave himself to try to figure his way out of 
Which um, are fun. Which are fun. Fun little thingies. So he used third-person omniscient, which actually is used uh, narration, right? Which is actually used quite often where it's, um, you know, we hear equally inside the thoughts and ideas of everyone. Um, A lot of um, narration is often third-person limited where we will hear primarily one character's thoughts. So it'll be she was confused by this, right? But we don't... Yes, exactly. But what he did that was really unique... Um, a couple of things. One of them is, is that the entire story is told in, uh, present tense. Most of the time, and I couldn't honestly tell you off the top of my head why we have made this decision, uh, in the English language, uh, in our literary and in most languages in our literary text to have everything be in past tense, right? She said, uh, she walked across the road. I'm not sure why we've made that decision. Um, But he very intentionally chose to have it be present tense. So it will say things like, Andrew says, I'm not sure what we should do right now as he walks across the room. And I had someone tell me that for them, it made it feel almost more like a movie than a, than a book because it felt more immediate, right? It felt like it was Mm -hmm. happening in the moment in a way that I don't think a lot of fiction always feels. Uh, But the result is, is that it does create, it just sort of immerses you as a reader into the story as though, you really are sort of like in you're the an, room. You're an active participant. Yes. And when you combine that with his going back and forth between multiple characters, um, you know, and, and giving us what they're doing and a little bit more of a deep dive into their characters, um, the result is, is that we really feel like the fate of our world is dependent upon the fate of their world. And so we care um, about them in a way that I think is really hard to achieve, yeah. especially when you have a kid character. Yes, that's true. And we, I mean, we're all, we are always inclined to dislike the kid characters. We're yes. Not, yeah, we, no. Both Anthony and I are predisposed to immediately hope that the child characters don't make it. Um, but in this case, I, that's not actually how I felt. So, you know, that made things more challenging when things happen in the book. Spoiler thing. The kid dies, yeah. 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 The end. (laughs) So, but yeah, I think, um, you know, and again, to go back to what you said about, you know, Aronofsky makes the home a character. um, I think that Tremblay makes us a character within the home. Yeah, it's less the, it's less that the home, like the cabin is a character because it's not. It's no. not as, not certainly not in the same way that Aronofsky has clearly designed this house to be a character, an active character. Yeah, I, I think that's, the, yeah, that's where I just realized where I was going halfway through. <laughs> that is the, di- that's like the difference because the house is the active character and that is what's helping push forward that story. Whereas we are an active character in this and we are helping push forward the story and going along with that. And so in one of them, the home is a character um, in, in its own sort of right. And the other one, the home has character because we, we identify with it, right? Like it makes yeah. it, it is what we need. Because at the end of the day, both narratives, again, stripped of, um, stripped of the larger meaning, both narratives are pretty simple. Oh, very um, simple. With mother in particular, yes. which it almost, it like, in, almost... Let's just start with mother. Let's, Let's do it. just we Let's can do start it. with mother then. We'll jump right in. We'll tackle this this film first, and then we'll move on to cabin at the end of the world. Uh, our mother, you can't really 
you said earlier on that uh, with allegories, you're not really supposed to have to need to understand what it's saying in order to get the film. But with Mother, I don't know if I necessarily 100% agree with that because Mother's story is so simple. Woman lives with man. Woman is tortured. Woman dies. Yeah. I mean, that's the story. So, and I know what you're you're saying, right? Because, like, things don't make sense until we understand, you know, not only the, the allegory of uh, that this is the earth, but also all the biblical... Um, metaphors being built in, but, but so certain things that happen, you're like, well, that doesn't make sense unless you know the company's story. But I, I would say though, that you could, because lots of people have watched this movie without understanding or thinking about that bigger, um, context and, or commentary. And oftentimes they don't like it as much, but they were able to walk away with a cohesive, understanding of you know here are characters here's what they're experiencing here's how it ends um it's just not as interesting right when it doesn't make as much sense fair enough fair enough i guess that i just it's so much more bare bones in terms of plot than cap than cabin at the end of the world that by just like comparing the two mother is clearly more reliant on the allegory uh, nature of the cabin at the end of the world and you brought up two of them already it's with mother two allegories that they're primarily playing with is like mother earth obviously because ha 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 word play darren aronofsky is a smart uh. man <laughs> in case you didn't know dear listeners uh not you're not the biggest fan of aronofsky yeah so it's <laughs> not that i'm not it's not that I don't always like some of his end projects. I think that my problem with him as, and admittedly, I haven't seen everything he's ever made, right? But, but my problem is, is that I feel like things are a little, um, overworked, right? It's, it's like when you're making dough, right? If you, you can over knead it and you can, you can spend too much time trying to get everything perfect. And the process is, is that, you know, it just breaks down, right? And it's it's not, it doesn't taste as good as if it hadn't been over needed. And I feel like that's kind of Aronofsky's signature move is that he, I don't want to say that he tries too hard because that that's very condescending, but that he he tr he puts he tries to make everything work on this other level or to address this issue, and and everything just feels a little mechanical at times. Um, and, and I think that, you know, while I'm super okay with, with the idea of you not being able to understand a text without seeing the hidden meaning, right, which is what an allegory is trying to do, I, I do feel like I don't want a film that, that makes me feel like there's someone standing there being like, gotcha, or did you get that? Do you know what that's a reference to? Because if you don't, you're going to miss everything else. And I feel like there's a lot of, um mother and again this might be because i have such an extensive knowledge of the bible um but like there's so much of it that it's like i'm not sure you think this is as hidden or as like difficult to parse as you think it is and so you've kind of just spent too much time over needing right to go back to to that metaphor interesting i and i actually think mother is one of his more straightforward films 
Mother and Black Swan probably are the two, I don't, most accessible? Is that the sure. right word, way to say it? I, because they can both be read. I think what you're, I think what you're saying is right. They can, both, the, both these films can be read without so much of these deeper meanings being put upon it. Whereas like with Requiem for a Dream, which was one of his other films, you've re he's really trying to tell you something. He's trying to teach you a thing and really get you to think about it. And, and it doesn't, and whereas with Black Swan and Mother, I think there is a little bit more ambiguity as to what exactly you're supposed to get get out from it. And I I think that there's I think there's more ambiguity if you don't know what he's referencing, right? If if you're you're the world or the set of knowledge you're bringing into your movie-going experience doesn't fully understand the biblical connections or the global messaging. Um but I feel like if you're at all aware of any of that, um if you're already thinking about how we treat Mother Earth and how problematic that is, or if you're already sort of aware of how the Bible narrative works, um, it just feels too contrived. Um, and so I actually think that it feels like he, for those that are in the know, it feels like he's hitting it a little too hard in your face. Um, and that, that the message is a little bit more obvious. And then if you don't know what's happening, you miss the message anyway. And, and that just doesn't work for me. Like the message should be clear to those that don't have the background, but to those that are already aware of things, there should be like, I don't know, maybe some, like an Easter egg, right? Like something that you're like, ah, as someone who really understands this well, I understand what you're doing here. Instead, it felt like you wouldn't understand, say, the Cain and Abel component, right? If you didn't know the story of Cain and Abel. So you'd miss mm -hmm. that as a, as a non-biblical inclined individual but if you are a biblically inclined individual it was just that story so straight there was really no like um further development of it in a way that was thought-provoking it was just and, and interestingly enough i think it works in the context of the film itself actually because if you're reading it because i think there's many different ways to read it to sum it down into just two different it's either it has to be all about ecological horror and it's a, a tale of mother earth or it's a biblical allegory is I think too simple of a reading. I think that there, Aronofsky has talked about how there's a number of ways to, to think about the film and he is, has a number of different ideas he was toying with. Another one that he has frequently talked about that it's influenced him and the, this film is the creative process and what you have to do in order to make something, you have to take it to the its end point and then destroy it in order to make something new. And I think you, and like ideas of reincarnation he was playing with, obviously, from the end of the film. And, and I think there's multiple things to, to be parsed from it. I don't think it's quite as, as bare bones simple as you are making so it I Yeah, I think, I don't think I'm seeing what I'm trying to communicate well then, because I, I, I agree that it is, this text becomes at its richest when you allow for it to be at those moments of intersection where you can ask yourself, what does um, concerns about global warming, concerns about a story that we have chosen to define our understandings of who we are as humans and this mm -hmm. creative process, what do these have in common? I think that's where the film gets interesting. I think my problem yeah. is, is that 
um, in his effort to build in so many strands, he had to be a little bit on the nose at times that I don't think he should have been on the nose. And so I, so I think my problem is, is that where this film is most interesting is not where I feel the film goes often enough because, and, and, and this isn't entirely Aronofsky's fault. This is a, the fault of the fact that he essentially had to create, um, a film for like three different types of audiences, right? He had to create a film that could stand up for anyone who wanted to watch this film that was not going to understand allegory at all, but wanted a horror mm-hmm. film, which in for Lords, he had to create a horror film that could be read through any, any single lens so that someone who is familiar with the Bible could be like, aha, I've got it. Or someone that's like, I am an ecologist about yes. religion or someone could yeah. be like it's not about religion it's about ecology or you know it's about creativity and and they had he had to have a narrative that could hold steady throughout from beginning to end from one allegorical lens and then he also tried um to create a story that could work if you were to apply all of the allegorical lenses you can immediately think of as well as any mm-hmm. others that someone else might propose at any other time and right. Again, I'm going to go back to that, to my metaphor, that he, in the process it got over needed, right? Because you really cannot effectively have a film that accomplishes all three of those really lofty goals simultaneously without it feeling overworked in places and underworked in and, other places. And I get, and I get it. And I can get that complaint because Aronof, what Aronofsky is essentially doing is in a day fitting the entire course of mankind into one film that is two hours and one minute long. And so, uh, yeah, it's in some places it's gonna, I, I can definitely see the, the complaint that it is a bit rushed or, or, or just overdone in some places. But I think that's kind of, I don't know if that's necessarily something I find a fault with the film. Uh, I, so I don't find it, I don't find it a fault what you just described of of the the feeling he can't you know touch on everything because like you said he has created an entire narrative of humankind of uh, the process of creation both biblically and uh, you know in a more traditional sense um, in a in a two plus hour movie um, I think where I struggled was that there were moments that it felt like Aronofsky was standing there being like, again, saying that like, gotcha, or did you get that that's a reference to Cain and Abel? Because if you didn't, it's a reference to Cain and Abel. It is pretentious. I'll give you that. I I can't deny that Aronofsky's filmmaking style and sensibility is pretentious and very preachy. And I, I'm like, look at what I did. And I, I don't did. think you can... If you want the story to work on, so, so, okay, let's, let's go with the word pretentious or preachy, right? I don't think that style works for the first group of people because they're missing it anyway. It doesn't matter how many times you're like, did you get the reference to the creative process, right? Because they're not getting that anyway. For that second group of people, the ones who can identify only one allegorical track, yeah, they got it because that's the one that they immediately saw. They don't need you to point mm-hmm. out, um, do you understand that this is a moment talking about the the birth of Christ, right? Like they didn't, they don't need that because that's what they're seeing. 
And then the third group, the one who's open to seeing it from all these lenses, they're obviously operating on a higher level. Again, they don't need you to point out the obvious. And I felt like you can't have a film where you were saying this is a very, you know, complicated piece, but I'm going to point out all the obvious bits. Like, I don't think that's a contradictory style to me to to try to make something that is uh, as complex as, as Mother is, but also something that's as obvious of like, but I'm really I'm really good at this. Did you notice how well I did that? I don't think you can have both happen and have a film be entirely successful. Well, then, in comparison to that, we have the cabin at the end of the world. It's not obviously starting at the beginning of time, like Aronofsky's mother, but it is about these individuals who are presented with the end of the world type of crises. And it's clearly using also biblical storytelling and allegories and references to it in order to advance the plot and to help frame a lot of these discussions. But I would say that this is where Tremblay, and this is no surprise, um, did something, I think, better. At no time is there a line where Andrew or Eric are, you know, the two dad figures uh, to Rin. At no point are they like, hey, Eric, did you notice that each one of them is wearing a color that more or less represents the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Huh, that's interesting, right? Like, you can read the entire book without ever picking up on the fact that Lenny and crew are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, that they match not only in color scheme, but they also match in terms of their um, their thing that they're sort of obsessed with. And so when I was telling uh, my partner about this book while I was reading it, she immediately, as I said, was re- talking about it. She's like, oh, like the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? But I didn't have to, to say that. Like, I didn't have to preface it. And, and it enriched the text, right? It enriched the understanding, but it wasn't necessary. And I think that that's what a good allegory does, um, is that it shouldn't try to have a gotcha or in case you didn't pick up on how clever I am as the creator of this, I want you to make sure that you know, here's how I'm wanting you to read these characters. I don't think you can do that and have a truly effective allegory. And I think Tremblay did that. And he did it with things that you and I have talked about we didn't even pick up on. Um, right, like the yellow yes, lamp. Yes, so if you oh, haven't read... So smart, so smart. Yes, yeah, so if you haven't read the the end notes, um, Anthony, do you want to tell them what Tremblay says about the yellow lamp? Yeah, so the yellow lamp is a reference to a short story from 1892, Uh, called The Yellow Wallpaper, which is written by... Charlotte Perkins Gilman. That's right. And in this story, the color yellow really represents death. And so anytime anyone has any interaction with the yellow lamp, turning it on, that signifies that that character is about to die. And it's a reference to both uh, the yellow wallpaper, in which yellow obviously is a huge signifier, more about her being crazed than it is about death, in that, in that a little short story, but it's also a, another reference to a novel, One Hundred Years of Solitude. Who think who that book is also the color yellow represents death, and so he's playing with that idea, and that's uh, that just that little nod, and using that and really seamlessly integrating it into the story. And anytime anyone has any interaction with it, you know they're about to bite the dust. And that's that's less of a sort of allegorical component it is just more of a like a puzzle that Tremblay set for himself or kind of a mm-hmm. a way that he could figure you know kind of add some things in but I think again what I appreciate about Tremblay 
in, in everything I've read of his, um, is that he, he's not trying to, to aha or gotcha his readers. He's, he's creating a story that is interesting. And you mentioned this in our episode about head full of ghosts. He gives himself uh-huh. a, a puzzle to solve. Like how do I tell a, an, um, a possession narrative post exorcist? Um, in this case, it's yeah. how do I create a story that is about the end of the world where the world is simultaneously the globe and the people who live in this home. And, and I think, mm-hmm. you know, and again, when he finds his answer in, in cabin at the end of the world, it becomes a, a really powerful allegory. But I think that this one, despite the fact that he's got these clear, like elements that he's plotted out, it doesn't feel to go back to my metaphor of the day over needed. It feels like he, he, built it how he wanted and let it kind of do its own stuff. I feel that the difference here between the two texts is that uh, Mother is an allegory that also is a film. Whereas The Cabin at the End of the World is a novel that tells a story that happens to have an allegory in it. It happens to have that allegorical element on top of the text that's already there. Whereas Mother, it doesn't. It just truly doesn't. I, I, this is more of what I was trying to get to earlier when I was talking about just how simple it is. Mother does not work without the knowledge that it is an allegory and the willingness to go along with it. If you aren't willing to take that journey and you're not going down it, you're not going to like it. I mean, audiences didn't like Mother. A vast majority of them didn't get it. It, it got an F cinema score. Um, I was going to say that you can you can tell um, that what you're saying is true because of the, the fact that, you know, audience response to Mother was so poor because unless you were prepared for it to be, like you said, an allegory that happens to also have the story, um, you're not going to pick up on that. And of course, I would I would argue that, um, you know, if you watch the trailers for the film, it was very it was, misadvertised. It was, it was very misadvertised. I don't know how they could have done it differently, right? I don't know how you advertise and get enthusiasm for an allegory, even though, I, I mean, I personally adore them, but, like, that seems like a hard 90-second sell. Um, but I think you're absolutely correct that if you think about, maybe this is not how Darinovsky and Tremblay crafted it, um, but, but you're right, that what happened was is that it feels like Aronofsky said, I want to have an allegory that can do all these things. What can my story be mm-hmm. that will do this? And then he just kind of bare bones the story so that he could focus on what was more interesting to him, which was the allegory. And I think for Tremblay, it was, this is a really interesting story. I have some really interesting yes. characters. And too. I have some really interesting characters. And then he kind of asked himself, but why is this so interesting? And then he realized that it's mm-hmm. because it's not just about these specific characters. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I think we're getting into something, another distinction, because I think Tremblay is doing more of a deconstruction of of this type of story, this end of the world type of story, and why they're so scary to us, and what, like, the implications are, and what would, if you were put in a situation where something like this happened to you, what would you do? Isn't that kind of terrifying? Isn't it, wouldn't it be terrifying if the fate of the world was in your hands, and that you were that person? Whereas Aronofsky is not doing a deconstruction. It is simple. It is very simply, hi, I'm Darren Aronofsky. I'm going to do this really simple film. 
and it's going to be an allegory and you're either going to get it or you're not and that's see, it see you just you just explained my my problem with mother is that because i was able because he doesn't try to hide right any of the allegories that he's throwing in there what i wanted the film to do was to tell me okay so why does it matter that we look at all of these allegorical lenses at the same time what do we gain from understanding the idea of a woman uh you know locked and tortured in her home at the same time that we understand the biblical story of how humanity will begin and end at the same time that we understand the the sort of ecological crisis at the same time that we understand the creative process like what do we gain from thinking of all of these things smushed on top of each other and i don't know how he would have done that like that may be an impossible ask but i wanted to find out right like i wanted to know that the horror of that film stems from the fact that we are either conflating all of these narratives or we the horror comes from the fact that we have for our entire humankind uh history been separating them when in reality we should see them all as, as the same story just retold and i needed more of that i think he got to it right at the end um which is actually the part of the mm -hmm. film that i the potentially only part of the film i find uh truly horrific um but it, it wasn't enough yeah and i think it's just a different ma manner of how you prefer to tell a story because i think christopher nolan not a horror person but Christopher Nolan is similar to Aronofsky's style of filmmaking in that he make he creates very he creates kind of flat characters. They both do in their films because it's not about the characters. It's not even about the story really. It's more of about the themes and the ideas that these two filmmakers are wrestling with and what they is what they want you to get out of it. Whereas Tremblay is focused on giving you these satisfying characters and he is focused on creating uh, a very satisfying uh, plot as well where that these characters can have fun in. And if you happen to take away these ideas that he is also working with, that's great. But it doesn't, that's not the end all be all to your enjoyment of it. And I'm definitely not going to go so far as to say that all horror needs to be character driven because I don't like making absolutes. Um, and while I might feel that like, horror is more effective if you can relate to the characters. I also really like Nightmare on Elm Street, and those don't have you know, uh, rich three-dimensional characters. What are you I talking know. about, Nancy? <laughs> she is an absolute three-dimensional yeah, character. Yes, Incredible. So rich. So diverse. <laughs> um, and you know, and I, I adore that film, and I actually think that film works really nicely on a deeper level, right? It's not as, as an exploration of the problems of uh, suburbia so so it's not that it can't do it i do wonder though if and i'm not sure i have enough data to to make this case off the top of my head but i do wonder if horror if if allegorical horror needs um more character development to truly be horrific um because the moments when i really felt myself anxious and not frightened but but horrified um in in mother was at the end when for the first time i could kind of understand uh jennifer lawrence's character and 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 i could kind of place myself in some of the situation i mean obviously i've never had a cult you know worship my baby right like i mean but like 
And then yes, so I haven't had that, but like there was something about that that felt more actualized um, or developed in terms of the character relationship. And you know, and again, I think about some of my other favorite allegories, um, and the first one that comes to mind again because of having grown up Christian is is Pilgrim's Progress. But but they are ones where you know I feel like I'm invested in where the characters are going. Now Pilgrim's Progress, of course, doesn't have super developed characters either because the main character's name is pilgrim right and every character has Mm -hmm. a name that's like who what they are but i i just think that there is something about giving us characters that we can ask ourselves is this what i would do in a similar situation or why are they doing this that 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 builds upon that level of horror for me um and trimbley is really good at it you know i i think i've got another distinction i think i'd like to throw in here and comparing these two in old-timey theater, most theaters were only did morality plays, where they and they did not attempt to portray real humans. And just for clarification, old-timey does not mean like the 1980s, right? You're, you're you're talking like medieval and earlier. Medieval, yeah. And so they didn't seek to portray real, complex human characters in their plays. They were like, this is lust. This is greed, and these are the type of characters you're working with. You, I was referencing every man there. Uh, that it's just the lead character is an every man. He's you and I, and he must go against the seven deadly sins. And that feels more in line with what Aronofsky was trying to make. He seems to be making more of a a film that operates like those early morality plays, where they only operate as as much as you're willing to give it. If you don't, if you're not there for this morality play, and you're not and you're not okay not watching really developed characters or just watching one-dimensional characters that are a fill-in for something else. And that's clearly what Aronofsky is doing for, I think. He has made a morality play, uh, excuse me, a morality film. He is a filmmaker. Let's get that right. <laughs> so he's made a morality film. And I, and I just think that that is a, it's not, in my opinion, better or worse than what is it happening at cabin at the end of the world in terms of just how you can tell a story. I think you can tell an effective, like very straightforward morality play film book, and that can be fine. It just, it's a different, it looks different as in a, a more nuanced way in which you could tell an allegory, which is what you have with the cabin at the end of the world, which operates without having to sacrifice creating realistic human characters. I think that's, that's a great way to explain it. And I agree with you that one is not better than the other because it's, you know, we're comparing these two texts um, because they have a lot that deserves to be compared, but it is in many ways an apple orange situation where, you know, like you can't say which apple do you like best, this orange or this gala apple, right? Like it's like, I mean, you know, you do have to treat them as separate beasts. And honestly, and this is unfair to the film, part of the reason that I, I will never adore the film as much as maybe I would otherwise is that I know as much as I do about Aronofsky. And I, and I know that, that there is this, you know, like that he kind of does think that he's done something that's never been done before. And admittedly, it's not been done in the way he did it. Admittedly, we don't have as many films that are the everyman equivalent, but like you said, there is nothing new about having a very transparent allegorical framework. No, I mean, up until really, honestly, more recent human history, that was the only type of storytelling we had because the church didn't allow 
for human depictions to be done on stage. They only allowed for their type of morality plays to yes. be depicted on a stage for entertainment purposes. So it's you're, you're right. It's certainly not new. <laughs> and I think, you know, the film is very thought-provoking. And, and I find myself, you know, being impressed by even if I do feel it's a little overworked because there's just too many moving pieces, I'm impressed by the amount of moving pieces he got into, into this film. And, and I think that if I didn't feel like, you know, that he was, that, that he was doing the equivalent of, you know, um, someone pointing out while you're watching every man, see the character lust, he represents lust. You may not have picked up on that, but I, I wanted you to know that. Like, I feel <laughs> like sometimes that's what's happening in, in mother but what i cannot tell you is 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 it actually happening in the text or do i feel like that's what's happening in the text because i've read enough interviews with aronofsky where he's talked about how he wants people to pick up on these things that i already picked up on so i so i i do have to say that like <laughs> mother is at a disadvantage that has nothing to do maybe uh with the film itself um but yeah th this is where i think we get to the richness of, of both the potential for allegory, but also the potential for horror, because we have a lot of horror films that are very straightforward too, right? Like when you described, you know, mm -hmm. woman is in house, woman can't really leave house, woman is tortured, woman dies. I mean, that's also the plot of how many horror movies? Um, yeah, and, I mean, fair enough. Fair and, enough. <laughs> and so like, you know, and, and they're films that we love and that we celebrate, um, but then there's the other way of doing it, right? There's the way of saying that, you know, and, and this is what Tremblay does pretty explicitly, which I appreciate. He says, you, you know the story or a version of the story, but I'm going to take mm -hmm. it and I'm going to add my tweak and just ask you to ponder whatever comes to mind uh, when you are seeing this, this. And I think I think that's the difference is that mother was presented as something groundbreaking that has never happened before. Are we prepared to be amazed? Um, Cabin at the End of the World was presented as You've heard a version of this story before, but let's let's go back and see what happens if we go back again. And I actually think that if you now that thinking of mother more in line of like this simple every man type of story actually makes me like the film more after this conversation because it's not I'm not like thinking of it as this deep artistic like this is my thesis on everything wrong with the world. It's like, no, no, this is a guy who is just like, got a simple story to tell with a simple message. And that's what this is. I, and I, I don't know, I kind of, I'm kind of more into it. And I think a bit more forgiving of some of its more pretentious elements. So yeah, that's, because that's really it. interesting um, because I'm about to make a statement that's going to make me sound like I might be the most difficult person to please ever um, because you and I have talked extensively about the fact that we don't want our filmmakers uh, or horror creators to throw a whole bunch of stuff in a bag and then say, you pick out whatever you want as the source of horror and whatever that is, that's what it could have been. So I, I admittedly have a problem with that in most traditional forms of horror. However, mm -hmm. when it comes to something that you were creating that is intended to be an allegory, I don't know if you get to say, here are all the ways you can choose to read it um, because these are the options. Like I think part of what allegory is, is is that there should be 
especially when you're creating the type of allegory I think mother wants to be, right? Which is working on multiple levels at the same time. You can't really be like, but wait, did you also pick up how it's an allegory on this? Um, but I also wanted you to consider that it could be an allegory on that. Like, I'm not sure that, that that's something that is effective. Um, I think it either needs to be obviously transparent and you don't need to point it out, um, or it doesn't need to be pointed out at all. And you can still walk away with with appreciation for the text. And and again, I think, I think in many ways, into the cabin at the end of the world uh, did that better. So for our next episode, in keeping alive, sort of this uh, exploration of of why horror is, is so much more than just you know woman trapped in house woman tortured woman dies uh we're gonna look at another uh film that that has a very lovely narrative sort of independent but the moment you see it is also a social commentary is the moment that you realize just how amazing uh it really is on every level and that is 2017's get out so we've already talked about us uh which is the other jordan peele film that that fits for our discussion of, of such a nightmare but get out uh was the film that that ruined us uh, for us um, because we enjoyed it so very much. And so we look forward to having that discussion. In the meantime, be sure to like us on all of our social media pages and feel free to leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts from. And why not, while you're at it, just tell your friends about us. That'd be fun. And if you have a allegorical horror film that or or novel or story that really excites you, share it with us because we'd be more than happy to talk about it in a future episode. Bye!